podcast is recorded in front of an unwitting audience. This is True Crime Kent. We are back, part two, part two of a two-part series on the Scream Killers op. Scream this Killers. so fun. So good. So this is part two. If you haven't listened to part part one, go listen to that now, and we'll give you a minute to leave. And we'll give you an hour and a half to listen to it. Yeah. So, so it's going to be awkward. It's silence for the next hour and a half. <laughs> op listening to Because I'm a creep. <laughs> what the hell am I doing here? Friday, I'm in love! <laughs> and the first part off, we discussed how Tori and Brian met, our two little shitheads here. We discussed Matt and Cassie, our unfortunate victims in this episode. And now we are up to the night of, to the night of the, the killing itself. Oh, you just dropped the bomb on me because you told me Cassie was going to be a victim. I didn't know Matt was. Well, so. he's kind of a, I don't want to. Okay. You'll see. Okay. We're going to put a shelf on that. Yeah, put that on the shelf next to your Joey Jordison mask. Line right paper. there, I can see it it's on the shelf. I just imagine you like air drumming, putting that mask on when you think nobody's. And it's so hot in there in that booth. You're always sweating. I've grown my hair out a bit. My I hair, bet you're but... naked from the waist down right now, aren't you? <laughs> it's this leathery chair. You should hear it when I let one go. It's like bap 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 bap. Feel that little air bubble because it's so sweaty in there. <laughs> Go between your legs and come up between your ball sack and your leg. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about exactly. You do. See in your face. <laughs> so, in the first episode, I talked about right how Tori and Brian were constantly they they filmed everything. They filmed everything. They were they recorded everything. They're really stupid that way, especially when you're planning a murder. Don't do that. I mean, I, yeah, go ahead and do that because it's. I would rather you get caught. But if you don't want to get caught. Don't, like, record your planning process for the murder, right? Yeah. With that being said, uh, the next few video clips, audio clips to the listeners, were recorded on Thursday, September 21st, 2006. This is the night before the murder. Okay. And Brian and Tori are out driving around. It's in the, it's in the evening. It's nighttime, as you can see in the video. You're, not, you're just going to hear the audio. And uh, they're hoping they can get, maybe get away with the murder this night. And uh, that's what we're going to play we're going for a high death count. We're not going not to get caught, Ryan. If we're going for guns, we're just going to end it. We're just going to uh, grab the guns and get out of there and kill everybody in the lane. We're going to make history. We're going to make history. For all you FBI agents watching this, <laughs> uh, you weren't quick enough. You weren't quick enough and you weren't smart enough. And we're going over to Dan Nixon's house. We're, we're going to go snoop around over there and try to see if she's home alone or not. And if she's home alone, splat! Oh, she did. Don't put your humor into this, right? Uh, I, I'm not putting your humor into it. Yep. People will die. Memories will fade. Memories will fade. I wonder what movie you got that from, Brian. Myself. <laughs> that was myself. No wonder it was so lame. Okay, we're on our way, and I'm gonna 
I'll let you stay tuned. We're almost there. Nixon's house. It's clear out there in the pasture. We've already snooped around her house a couple times. Uh, it, she, she's not at home, so we're gonna go to the church over there, and we're gonna call a, a girl, a guy named Cassie and Matt. They're our, our friends, but we have to make sacrifices. So, um, I feel tonight it is the night, and I feel really weird. You know, it's happening stuff and stuff, and I feel like I want to kill somebody. Uh, I know that's not normal, but what the hell? I feel we need to break away from normal life. How bright is this light? Because let's say it this way: parents, along with their parents, along with their parents, and so on, uh-huh. taught them that God, Jesus, the whole bullshit <laughs> line. I'm sure you guys believe in God as well. I realized when I was in seventh grade, along, you don't believe in Santa Claus or <laughs> vampires or werewolves. They're used to metaphor, not to let. They teach our kids back in the 1800s. I learned this in English class. <laughs> About telling their kids that you can't go outside or a vampire will get you. Just to make their kids stay and do what they want to do. God yeah, is basically the for, same right? way. Yep. Trying to get people to do good or else, so-called, you go to hell. And we're obviously going to hell if it's real, but you know what? Who gives a shit? Uh, yeah. So. Woof. There, there are two little shitheads there. First, I want to point out they're listening in their car to teenagers at night driving, listening to Beethoven's Moonlight Sonata. Yeah, that's a contrast. <laughs> they're, they're trying so hard. So they know these videotapes, and this is going to be more evident later. They know these videotapes are going to be eventually shown in the media and everything. They, they have every intention of this being seen eventually. Mm-hmm. They're trying to make like a serial killer documentary, which ironically enough, May have been inspired. Nobody's made this connection yet. That Leslie Vernon, the rise, of the ma- the man behind the or the behind the mask, the rise of Leslie Vernon. That's what that movie is about, basically. I don't know if they're trying to do something along those lines. It kind of seems like it. Mm-hmm. They're trying so hard to make this like, oh, these kids are deep. There's Moonlight yeah. Sonata by Beethoven is playing while they're talking about. This is so dark. This is so dark. Yeah. You know? It's so cringy. There are so many movies that are that are out there that use some kind of a contrasting. So like there's a there's a movie called The Man Who Wasn't There, and uh, you know it uses Moonlight Sonata in kind of this contrasty way. It, it happens so you know so often. Is that about David Hogg? <laughs> <sighs> I'm sorry about that. I didn't mean to make a david hogg comment he might have been there look my point is this they're listening to beethoven's moonlight sonata specifically for dramatic effect but that's all it is it's so cringy it's so cringy and this is coming from somebody i listen to beethoven's moonlight sonata on the regular while i'm reading and record and and writing Mm -hmm. i love it Mm -hmm. but i'll never you'll never hear me listening to it while i'm recording any like it's specifically for for dramatic effect by the way this time at this point in time 
here in September of 2006. Crazy by Gnarls Barkley was on the charts, which is a great song. They should have been pumping that jam. It was a great song. Remember that hit? Yeah. What happened to him? Sexy Back by Justin Timberlake was number one, actually. They had a lot of good choices to choose from music-wise. I hate Sexy Back. I hate that song so much. I love Justin Timberlake. God, I hate that song, though. I think the best uh, song with Justin Timberlake is probably Holy Grail with Jay-Z. That's a banger. Mm, Don't know it. Sounds like a banger, though. It's got the word holy in it. (laughs) So, you know, what you just listened to, these two young chodes, they're driving around. They're going to a friend's house hoping she'll be alone so they can kill her. She wasn't, though, obviously. They also talk about, I don't know if you heard in the beginning there, that the FBI, they're looking at this. They said, sorry, you weren't quick enough. You weren't smart enough. It's important to point out they got caught after one murder. Pretty quickly, too, I might add. Not the criminal masterminds that they think they are. Yeah. Yeah. It didn't really seem clear. Uh, well, it's, I don't know if it's what you call it foreshadowing, but at the beginning, they were like, yeah, they were mocking the, uh, the, the agents that weren't catching on to them. And they were like, you were too slow. To me, that's kind of foreshadowing, like, oh, oh you are going to get caught. <laughs> yeah, they know they're going to get caught. But also, what are they supposed to be watching? You're just whining. <laughs> you're, you're talking about the only like digital footprint they had was their love of Slipknot and energy drink reviews. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's right. every Slipknot fan ever. <laughs> Op. What could I do different that makes me set, that sets me apart? I bet there's like there's an old blog somewhere for, written by the op as a young thing about Joey Jordison and Monster <laughs> Energy drinks. Where'd you write that at? I want to I want to find that. Where's it at? Op? Put the link. Send me the link after we get done recording. <laughs> Red Bull. Never it tastes okay, but it doesn't give me. By the way, Slipknot's new. I love Jordison's new mask. I never had that blog. It wasn't called moremonster.blogspot.com. I don't know what you're talking about. So what are they supposed to be catching? You know what I mean? Yeah. You're not fast enough. You haven't done anything yet. Exactly. Not to mention you don't even have pubes, probably. Like, they're not. No, they're not worried about you. We're in the middle of fucking Iraq (laughs) at this point in time. Yeah. Five years after September 11th. That's true. The next clip up, it's taken from the same night, and uh, we will play that now. It's not real because it's so blatantly obvious it's not real. <laughs> People believe it because their parents teach them. And so it's so hard for them to let go of it because they've been taught their whole life. Yeah, I know. But fucking what the point I'm making is we are also taught that things like killing people and all wrong. other thing is wrong. The only thing that it's wrong about is because... It's breaking the law, and the law is only wrong. It, the law That's just selection, dude. Because That's just selection. That's all I gotta say. There should be no law against killing people. I know it's a wrong thing, but That's hell, hell, you restrict somebody from it, they're gonna want it more. Exactly. Goodbye, camera. So, first off, obviously, and I'm sure you're thinking it too, Op, murdering somebody? Is not natural selection. No, it's, it's the actually, actually, exact opposite of natural selection. Brian, you fucking twat yeah. waffle. You stupid dildo. I also love that he's like, it's against law, and the only reason it's against the law is, and then he waxes philosophical. Right, that was and, Tory then, and then he says, uh, 
I mean, I know it's wrong. <laughs> yeah. Well, good on smart, you. Smart argument there. I feel like we're being a little hard Debate on these boys. Professor. Oof. Natural selection, by the way, is nature sorting out uh, undesirable characteristics. Right. Uh, it's a byproduct of evolution <laughs> and has nothing to do right. with murder. <laughs> and he says it so confidently, too. Natural selection, dude. That's all I'm saying. Natural selection. <laughs> Natural you ever think that, dude. though? You're, like, sitting at a restaurant, and there's a table full of, like, teenagers. And, you know, it's probably the second time they've ever been out without parents. And they're sitting there, and they're acting absolutely ridiculous. And in your head, you know, like, you quietly cringe because you know that there's probably, I don't know, 100, 500 people that have seen you at that age doing the same thing at a oh, restaurant. Yeah. Oh, I hate remembering. Oh, yeah. That first time you get a little yeah. bit of freedom. First time you get a little bit of freedom and you're somewhere independent and there's a girl to impress. Oh, forget it. I w- oh, just can't even think about how terrible I must have been as that kid. Well, we've got one more audio clip from okay. this knot, taking on the same knot op. And uh, let's play that right now. My friend's too pussy to go investigate. Turn here. Why are you turning there, dude? Okay. Now we're gonna go over to Cassie and Matt's house. If they're home alone, we're gonna. It's Cassie's house. Matt is there. Matt is there. Sorry. We're gonna go. We're gonna knock on the door. We'll see who's there. We'll see. see we'll see if the parents are home or not. If they're home alone, we will leave our way, and then we will come back in about ten minutes. We'll sneak in through the door because chances are they're probably in Cassie's room. So we'll sneak in the front door. We'll make a noise outside, and Matt will come out to investigate, kill him, and it'll scare the shit out of Cassie. Okay? Well, Sounds like fun. We'll stay tuned. We found our victim, and sad as it may be, she's our friend. But you know what? We all have to make sacrifices. Our first victim is going to be Cassie, daughter, and her God, friends. turn your brights off, asshole. We'll, we'll find out if she has friends over. She's going to be alone in a big, dark house out in the middle of nowhere. How perfect can you get? I, I mean, like, holy shit, dude. I'm horny just thinking about it. Hell yeah. So we're going to fucking kill her and her friends, and we're going to keep moving on. I heard some news about Kirsten. She's going to be home alone from 6 to 7. So we might kill her and drive over to Cassie's thing and scare the shit out of them and kill them one by fucking one. Hell yeah. Why one by one? Why can't it be a Two by house? two and three by three? Because we're going to keep it classy. So yeah. Classy. It's going to be extra fun. You're evil. <laughs> yes, I am. So are you no, like, evil is evil. an expression of God. That was another test you felt. Evil is not an expression of God. Yes, it is. That's bullshit, you know it. Evil of origin is a follower of fucking Satan. There is no Satan. Then shut then, up. And then how are we supposed to express ourselves? Good and bad. We're, we're bad. 
weird, Matt. That, that sounds so shitty. What evil? That sounds hey. even shittier. We're not, okay? They were sick psychopaths. Then I get pleasure of killing other people. That sounds good, baby. We're gonna go down in history. We're gonna be just like Scream, except real life terms. That We're gonna be murderers. Like, let's see, Ted Bundy. Like the Hillside Strangler, no. the Zodiac Killer. Those people are more amateurs compared to what we're gonna be. We're gonna be more of higher sources of Ed Gold. Gene. Gene. Well, except for that sick of that twisted. <laughs> oh, do you know what Ed Gene's words were? What? Saw a girl walking down the street, right? Yeah. Two questions came to his head. Hmm, I could take her out, have a nice time with her. The killer? <laughs> And show her a good her time, alive. charm the pants off her, or I wonder what her head would look like on a <laughs> stick. Holy shit. <laughs> That's creepy, yeah. huh? <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> they clearly have no idea what they're planning. Despite the weeks of planning, there still isn't really a plan, as you can also, see here. they just called Ed Gein Ed Jean. So. Well, they called him Ed Jean. On top of that, Ed Jean didn't say that. <laughs> Ed Kemper said that. Amateur. you ill-informed anal lesion. That was Ed Kemper, not Ed Jean, who was a guy actually I think I went to school with. Uh-oh. Ed Jean. He had two first names. Pretty common in my town. They clearly have no idea what their plan is. It's obvious, though, that Brian has a lot of anger towards Matt and Cassie because she wasn't interested. Brian and Tori both, they just drip little dick energy. It emanates from every pore of their being. <laughs> It's kind of a visual that I didn't really want. I know that that's pissing you off because of the Jordanson thing and <laughs> you both love computers and Mormons. <laughs> well, I feel like on the last episode where you were with Jack, he was probably like, hey, why don't you make one that's really like personal for the op? And you're like, well, I did the coin one. And he's like, no, 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 no. Like, hit him where it hurts. Go deep. <laughs> Sink Go that deep. knife deep. <laughs> Twist it. Take everything that he loves and let's mock it. Bash it against the rocks. <laughs> it's got to be a Mormon serial killer out there. And then you Google it and you find out there's 13. Everything he loves. Talk about Slipknot and energy drinks. <laughs> All you did to do research for this show is you contacted my mother. And you're like, tell me about him as a kid. Well, he listened to a lot of Creep by Radiohead in his room. I remember that playing. And Moonlight Sonata. He loved nope. that. Note paper was everywhere. I would go into his room and he'd be naked from the waist down, just drawing up a storm with Moonlight Sonata playing. Dude, I really was an artist in school. I went to Art Institute and I listened to a lot of classical music, so you're super not wrong again. I hate this. Oh, so now we're going to go to the next day out. That all happened that night. They were out driving around. And if you're wondering, like, well, what where were the what was the plan? The plan on this night, Cassie wasn't yet at her aunt and uncle's. She was at her home home where her parents were. Um, they were just trying to see if she was was alone that night. They were driving around. They did this quite a bit actually, driving around hoping that they would catch some of their friends home alone so they could kill them. Yeah, the very little planning involved. Oof. Yeah, I'd hate to be Kirsten after watching this video. Who? Kirsten. Oh, they mentioned Kirsten. I oh, heard yeah. something about Kirsten. Or how about Megan? You Megan? The second intended victim. Or they were going to kill just because she was a bitch, according to Tori. Yikes. Oh, wonder if she straightened up after that. I mean, you're still hoping. Next day, 
Friday, September 22nd, 2006. This is the day of the murder. We are uh, at this day, Friday, September 22nd. And there is a lot of videotape online that Brian Draper had recorded on this day. But I'm not, we're not going to use it up, just so the listener knows. Because uh, in the audio format, the dialogue is quiet and in a hushed tone. And it's hard to distinguish without subtitles. In one clip, it's taken early. He had recorded this all at school. Um, in one clip, taken early in the morning, a kind of particularly chilling clip, Brian does videotape Cassie at her locker, who they're going to kill that night, and they know they're going to kill. He, he, he comes up on her with the, video t- with the video camera, documents her for a little bit. They have a brief exchange where Brian asks her if she's seen Tori. She says no, and then he kind of walks away. And then the next clip on that is of Brian and Tori at the library later that day during their last period. They had skipped out on their last period, and it's them sitting there at a table at the library discussing their plans for that night's murder like it's a fucking barbecue. And Tori is uh, quickly taking notes on lined paper on writing it out. And that's also good if you're not wanting to leave evidence is to write in your school line notebook detailed notes of who you're going to kill and your murder victims. And they literally are like, scenario A. Cassie is there alone. I'm not kidding. Scenario B, Cassie is with Matt. Scenario. <laughs> and uh, you can find this video online, uh, all these videos online, if you want to watch them uh, hang out there. And it's just super cringe. It's super cringe. This is also where Tori and Brian say to the camera that when they make a movie about this, they want the actors that play them to look just like them and not look like somebody else. Lined paper. I don't know how I served that one up. You just, you, it's like you know these kids. It's like I, oh. <laughs> Suddenly the whole audience is like, yeah, this whole facade about the operator is kind of coming. We see where it's headed. But I'm 46, so, you know, I've, I've already passed my serial killer days. Uh, the next clip on the videotape taken that day, like a, obviously recorded by Brian. It's taken at 5.27 p.m., a little over five hours before Cassie's murder, and it is taken of uh, Brian Draper. It's him recording himself in his room playing drums in front of a Rage Against the Machine poster, and, and Scream is playing on the box television. So he's getting himself pumped up for the uh, for the murder that they're getting ready to do. And that's pretty interesting to watch. Like I said, this is all on YouTube. You can watch it. But it's just him playing the drums. There's looks like a pretty normal teenage kid's room. There's a Rage Against the Machine poster. There's a Simpsons poster. And, yeah, he's got Scream playing. So he's getting uh, getting himself, I guess, kids now, like the same kid now would probably listen to Cell by AWOL Nation. <laughs> it's probably not terrible wrong. song. <laughs> it's the song of the edgy kid of today. That's right. Maybe I should kill myself, Cell. Every kid, every angsty teenager listening to that was like, yeah, this fucking just sits with my soul. What's weird about that, too, is like if you listen to every, any other AWOL Nation song, you're like, how'd they make that one? How'd they, how'd they pull off that gem? Because I, I got to be honest, the rest of the AWOL Nation stuff just doesn't hit the same. You know, the thing is, that, that could have been a good song if it wasn't yeah. taken by, I guess, losers, you know. The first time I ever heard it was it was lined up with a... With one of those wingsuit divers. Yeah, I knew you were going to say yeah. that. I yeah, I think that's probably how a lot Half of Half the wingsuit it. videos between like 2012, 2015 <laughs> yeah. is all to sell. It's true. true. Maybe I should cry for help. <laughs> then they jump off. Maybe I should kill myself. Right when they say sail, they jump into the air. Yeah. Sail. Sail with me into the darkness. 
God. For, for hating that song, you sure know a lot about it. Could have it. been a good song. It was a Could've, good song when it first it came out, and then it got yeah. tainted. Yeah, just like Radiohead. Hmm. We are now at the evening up. It is, uh, we're finally up to the minute. It is Friday, the evening of Friday, September 22nd, 2006. It is 5.30 p.m., and Cassie's mom has just dropped her off at her aunt's house. Um, and this house, by the way, is a semi-large four-bedroom, three-bathroom home sitting on two acres at the address of 11372 West Whispering Cliffs Drive. Despite what other shows, podcasts uh, try to say about it being old and scary, it's not It's not a creepy ancient house. They're doing that in order to amp up the creep factor. The house was built, I found out, in 1979, according to records. So at this point in time, it's really only 27 years old. Not a very mm. old house. Pretty standard, you know, four-bedroom, three-bathroom, larger home in a secluded part of uh, Pocatello there on a road on a in a little neighborhood. Just a normal-looking house. It's not overly creepy. It's not... It just looks like a house. Yeah, 79. Not too creepy of a genre of house, no. houses, however. This wasn't built during the Victorian era. Right. Yeah. I mean, creepiest looks coin like ever made. Creepiest coin ever made was made in 79. I'll tell you this, Susan, it's a lot creepier now. Susan B. Anthony coin started in 79, so that's creepy. Did it? This is a secluded neighborhood in the country, like I said. I didn't know that about the Susan B. Anthony. That's creepy. Cassie was only to be there for two nights. Two nights. And, I mean, the Susan B. Anthony thing, worth recording this episode. Just worth <laughs> sitting here for, with you for two hours. I know. I know. I know. She was only be, to be there for that weekend, that Friday night, and that Saturday night, and, and her aunt and uncle were be, to be home from their little mini vacay on Sunday morning. She was, however, nervous to stay there by herself. Completely understandable. This is a 16-year-old girl in a large house in a neighborhood that she's not familiar with in a relatively secluded area. Completely understandable. So she tells her aunt, hey, do you care if I have my boyfriend Matthew Beck come over to stay during the days? And then obviously he'll go home at nights. So they say, yeah, that's fine. So she gets it cleared like a responsible teenager would. They, uh, Her aunt and uncle both know Matthew Beckham as an upstanding young man. They trust her. And yeah, that's cool. Right after Cassie arrives, she gets there at 530 at the house. Her aunt and uncle leave. They, they leave to go on their little mini vacay. And around 540 p.m., Matt's mom does drop him off uh, there at the house as well. So it's now 540 p.m. in the afternoon, in the evening, afternoon. And Matt and Cassie are now at the home alone. They got the house to themselves, but not for long because at 6 p.m., just 20 minutes after Matt's dropped off, Matt's cell phone rings and Tori call has called Matt and asked him and Cassie if it's cool if him and Brian come and hang out for a little bit. Cassie kind of reluctantly says, yeah, that's fine. Just not long. We're not doing a party or anything. There's not going to be any drinking, any of that stuff. We're not going to tear this house up. Yeah, you can come and hang out for a minute, though. But like I said, she's not all that excited about it. Uh, you know what? Right here, I'll, I'll say something interesting about uh, the dynamic of being in a Mormon community is some people might listen to this and they're like, what kind of school did they go to where, you know, pretty disparate interests between these kids and everything? Mm -hmm. Like, what kind of school did they go to where everybody just kind of hung out like that? And I, yeah. I will say, I don't think it was the school as much as anybody who goes to a church might be able to relate with this, that, you, you know, your kids are close to the kids that go to the church, you know, and so... Hearing from somebody from from your your church and being like, "Hey, can we hang out?" It it rings a little more true in my head. Like, why would these kids even say yes to hanging out? Was so uh, 
there's there's sort of a, I don't know, sort of a tie that binds, I guess, when you're part of the same religion, you know, so. Yeah, I also kind of feel like we occasionally, and I've been doing it too, speak about Mormons as if it's some space religion, right, <laughs> where these are like, this is like talking about being in another country. They're just teenage. This is all, these are just people. Yeah. I mean, it's not all that different than than Christianity. Uh, it's just like they don't have like a sep- separate belief system that isn't even relatable to any other human. It's just this is just American families. These yeah, are just it plays American into families. the dynamic here. I think anybody who's who goes to church anywhere or or any kind of a social club where families are are there kind of in yeah, as a complete unit. Kids kids tend to you know, gravitate toward the kids that they see all the time in those kind of situations and settings. So I, I, I was thinking about that, though, like, like, oh, okay, that's why. Because in just a normal, like, school friend relationship, these kids would not be invited over. You know? No, no. At 8 p.m., it's now 8 p.m., Tori and Brian, they arrive at the house there on Whispering Cliffs Drive. Cassie and Matt meet them at the door. And when they get inside, Brian kind of pushes past Cassie and Matt and starts kind of taking them on, on himself to do it, take a tour of the house. But uh, that's kind of the personality Brian is, like I said, extroverted, loud. Oh, yeah, nice house, man. And just starts yeah. walking around. And that's when Cassie starts giving uh, everybody a tour of the house because at this point, Matt hasn't even seen all the house yet. They spend the next 15 to 20 minutes getting an unoffered tour of the house. And while they're down in the basement, and I say basement, it's kind of a sitting area. It's not a basement like what you're picturing. It didn't have concrete floors and cinder block walls. It looks more like a living room than a base. It's carpeted. It's finished, right? Mm. It's air conditioned and heated and everything. It's a part of the living space in the house. You might even say a finished basement. A finished basement, you could say. You could call it that. Many people would if you worked at Lowe's. That's what you would call it. Yep. Uh, while they're in the basement, Brian starts going through drawers and stuff, being a little shit that he is. And while he's down there, him and Tori both take note of the location of the breaker box in the corner of the room. And what they're really doing right now up is getting a survey of the layout of the house and taking note of, of things that they're going to use in a little bit. When they get back upstairs, so they've done the tour, they get back upstairs, Tori starts, once again, uninvited, going through the movie collection on the shelf in the living room. He can't help himself. He's such a dork that he has to go through the movies. And he does pick out a DVD of Kill Bill Volume 2. I got to say, one of the few Quentin Tarantino movies that I haven't seen. The, the Kill Bill franchise? I, I, or I've, just never that kill, I've never seen the Kill Bill. Just never had any interest in it. The the fight scenes. Have, do you remember the fight scene in, in, in Family Guy between Peter and the giant chicken? Yes. Pretty much. If you've seen that, you've seen Kill Bill. Okay. That's what I assumed fight scenes that go on for uh, but if, I, I've, I've talked about this before i'm not also i'm not the biggest quentin tarantino fan mm. he's made a few movies i like Quint, django unchained i thought was great yeah That's i'll watch it. anything he puts out I, i'm i may not like it afterward but you know reservoir dogs was really amazing mm. <laughs> i feel like this is a very one-sided conversation all of a sudden it was a movie <laughs> I don't get it. I mean, I've seen it. I didn't hate it. I just did. I wasn't watching it and going, wow, this is groundbreaking yeah. stuff. I don't see it. Same thing with Pulp Fiction. Yeah. Don't don't understand the fascination with Pulp Fiction. Saw it. Thought it was okay. It was perfectly fine. Not groundbreaking. I don't understand the Tarantino worshiping. 
But it's good to see that you also love Quentin Tarantino, much like Tori Adam Chick here. Oh my <laughs> Again. Yeah, there was some. There's some good from Dust Till Dawn. From Dust Till Dawn, it's kind of Dust like, Till you know, Dawn. That's a great movie. Night of the Living I'll Dead. That one. Yes. Even though I think that Dust Till Dawn was just as much a Robert Rodriguez movie as it was a Quentin Tarantino movie. Yeah, the magic of that was not Quentin Tarantino, I would say. Anyways, so like I said, Tori picks out Kill Bill Volume 2. He tells the rest of the group, hey, this is a good movie. Cassie agrees kind of begrudgingly and then turns it on. And then Tori sits in the floor, Indian style, like a five-year-old and starts watching the movie. And Cassie just sits on the couch like she's having to babysit him. Um <laughs> Meanwhile, Brian and Matt go into the kitchen. They get popsicles out. They're going to get their big boy in there watching his movie, A Popsicle. And Matt retrieves a sheath knife from the kitchen drawer and cuts the ends off the popsicle. You're like, oh, that's very detailed. Uh, why would you say that he retrieves a sheath knife out of the kitchen drawer and then puts that ends up coming into play later during interrogations? Initially, police will suspect Matt as being the one that killed Cassie. And uh, this point where he says, well, I got a knife out of the kitchen drawer to cut the tips off the popsicles, that threw a lot of red flags up for the uh, investigators. This poor kid okay. had a, went through a lot during this investigation, actually. Oh, that's terrible. So Matt and Brian are in there in the kitchen eating popsicles. They're in there for a while. Tori and Cassie eventually come in a few minutes later, and they all stand there in the kitchen, shoot the shit, and eat popsicles. Fun fact, Matt ate three popsicles. Cassie ate two popsicles, and Brian and Tori each ate one. Hmm. They had other things on their minds. They were eating light, kind of like a first date. This is all, you know, so far pretty normal teenage stuff. This sounds like a normal, like a couple of 16-year-olds coming to the house of another 16-year-old, doesn't doesn't it? I mean, yeah. watching a movie, eating popsicles, shooting the shit, talking about school and soccer or whatever. I don't know if I've ever mentioned this, but when I was 16, I lived like across the street and just down a little bit from this other girl. And she was attractive. She was a nice girl. Never like, she kind of ran in a different circle than I did. Uh, but we grew up near each other, so I knew her for a long time. And one day, she calls me on the phone. She's like, hey, you want to come over? I'm like, all right. So I, like, walk the 75 feet to her house, and she was just hanging out. And then and then next thing you know, I'm making out with her. And then I leave, and, like, that was the last thing I ever heard from her. And then later on, I find out that she had, like, broken up with her boyfriend and used that as, like, a total, like, utility to then tell her friend that I came over and that happened. and But they were in such a different sphere that like that whole thing, that all that drama played out, never even touched me again. Like no one ever talked to me about it. This whole thing, like I was used in this weird story. And <laughs> so, and all I got it from was like this kind of traumatizing, like 10 minute makeout session with this girl with a very powerful tongue. That was traumatizing to you? Yeah, it was it was like choking level. Like she didn't know how to kiss very well. How old were you? Sixteen. Oh. Yeah. Uh, I I've got a story where uh, this isn't really like that. I was at a, par at a party one time. I get together at this girl's house, and this is let you know how brain dead I am to somebody making advances on me, trying to make, <laughs> trying to give me a hint. Right. <laughs> so the party dies down. And it's me and one of my friends and this girl standing in the kitchen. Everybody's either passed out or gone. And it's probably like three in the morning. And this girl looks at me and she goes, Kent, I've got something upstairs I need you to help. I need you to help me with. 
And then she like looked at my friend and like smiled and he already's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the two of them are in on, they're like, yeah. And I was like, what do you need help with? <laughs> and she goes, we need to move a dresser. We got some furniture up there that I need you to help me move. And they're smiling. They're both smiling at me. Like I'm in on the joke, right? I'm not. I go, a dresser? She goes, yeah, we got to move some furniture up there. You stay down here pointing at my friend, and you need to go upstairs and help me with some stuff, biting her lower lip. <laughs> and I go, quote, we could just fucking do that in the morning. We're drinking. <laughs> <laughs> and she finally just goes, will you please just come upstairs with me, for God's sakes? And I'm like, yeah. And as I'm going up the stairs, my buddy is like doubled over laughing. As I'm going up the stairs, I'm not ironically or joking going, I'll fucking see what the big goddamn deal is. I'm trying to drink. <laughs> Got to goddamn move furniture now. I'm like bitching to myself as I'm going up the stairs. <laughs> and then she attacked me at the top of the steps. And I was like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there's no furniture. We're not having to move furniture. <laughs> I was actually realistic. I was probably like, well, this is, but what about the dresser? That makes me think two things because how many years after that were you enlisted? That was while I was enlisted. (laughs) (laughs) You know, the way Hollywood makes it sound like, you know, there's that meeting in an airplane hangar where like all the badass military guys are sitting. There's like 25 of them and there's a guy up front who's like, all right, here's the mission. We're going to go in. We're going to do that. And then there's always the guy that like knows the whole plan off to the side. And then there's the guy that raises his hands like, well, why are we doing this? Captain, why are we doing this? And then the guy's like, you don't need to know. Or, you know, like, this is why they don't give all the information yes. to the, the guy with the trigger finger. <laughs> I was completely oh. oblivious. <laughs> and my other buddy was there. He was also in the Marine Corps. Completely. They're like, they're both. There's ton of, huh? Yeah, and I'm like just in the dump pile, like, no, why are we moving furniture right now? I don't, we're having a good time. Hopefully, I can sleep with this girl later. In my head, I thought this was a young Kent Chug. It's like a young one, you know, with like his his Abercrombie shirt on and his collar semi popped. Yeah, this is like a 23 year old Kent Chug. Oh, wow. Who may or may not have killed people at this point. And he can't take a hint about when a girl's trying. To... Jeez, I don't want to put off rapey vibes. <laughs> Didn't go too well in Kandahar. I got to just completely oblivious. Just completely oblivious. That's been a theme my whole life. I'm so glad my my wife finally. Did you pop the question, or did she? Uh well. We had been friends for like 10 years, and one night she got drunk, and she finally called me just angry, and she's like, what is wrong with me? Aww. And I was like, what are you talking about? She's like, I've been throwing myself at you for 10 years, and you've never picked up. And I was like, you locked me? <laughs> I just thought you wanted me around. I just thought we were furniture to move. Yeah. <laughs> just thought you really can't move furniture. And I, I had helped her move before. That's the <laughs> You're in there and you're like, well, that's the last of it. She's like, yep, this room's really empty now. Yeah. But I'd had a crush on her for like 10 years too. Uh, It was, I'm just not good at that. 
I'm not smooth with the ladies. I'm not a closer. That's yeah. what I'm saying. <laughs> Sounds like you're not an opener either. I'm not an opener. I'm not a closer. <laughs> really not good with women. <laughs> I'm so glad you landed one. Oh, I'm so glad. Oh, I feel good for you. It's fucking stupid. Why are we moving furniture? We're trying to drink. And I would really like to sleep with this young lady. She's got me moving furniture. <laughs> You're getting mad inside your head. I'm like, if I'm the moving company, who's she really into? Some yeah. guy downstairs, probably. <laughs> Jerks. Who is he? I'm gonna kill. I'm gonna kick his ass. Oh, to be young again. <laughs> Just listening to Radiohead. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it was coming. <laughs> Eating casserole alone in your room. Ah, uh, anyways, sorry. So they're eating popsicles. They're standing here in the kitchen. They're eating popsicles together. Like I said, at some point in the middle of all this, Brian, he finds an excuse for whatever reason, and we never found out what it was, to slip off. And uh, he does go back downstairs, Brian does, and does make the decision that will eventually uh, allow the murder to take place. And Brian will later talk about this from prison, that he thinks about this decision in particular all the time. If he had just not done this, then it would have never happened. And he, t- he sneaks off goes back down to the basement and unlocks the basement door leading it letting leading into the house uh without matt and cassie knowing so they have a way in oh oh because because all right so they're not even planning on killing them right now even though they could so similar to your story about not really cluing into the opportunity they want it to be like the movie scream they want them to be afraid oh okay And in the movie Scream, if you remember, Stu and Billy, the two killers from that movie, are friends with oftentimes the victims and they hang out with them. And then the the murders always happen in like a party or a Mm -hmm. get together or anything. That's how Scream was. They're wanting this to be just like the movie. Yeah, I don't know the Scream movies as well as I know like the, the the TV series Riverdale. Sounds a lot like Riverdale, though. So we'll go with that. 940 p.m. So now... You know, they've got an understanding of the layout of the house, Brian and Tori do. They know where the breaker box is. The door is unlocked without Cassie and Matt knowing. At 9.40 p.m., Brian and Tori tell Matt and Cassie that they're getting bored and they're going to go ahead and head out and catch a movie at the local theater. And they leave. They climb into Tori's red 1994 Geo Prism. Like I said, red because of all the vaginas that violently throw themselves <laughs> against it. And then they uh, pull out of the driveway. Obviously, uh, they don't go home, and they sure as hell don't go to a theater like they claim they would. Now, this next piece of audio was recorded in that period of time where Tori and Brian had left the house. So this is in between them leaving the house and the murders actually happening. Okay. We're here in his car. The time is 9.50. September 22nd, 2006. Um, Unfortunately, we have the grueling task of killing our two friends. And they are right in that house just down the street. We just talked to them. We were there for an hour. We checked out the whole house. We know there's lots of doors. There's lots of places to hide. Um, I unlocked... The back doors, that's all unlocked. Now we just gotta wait. And um, we're, we're really nervous right now, but you know, we're ready. We're listening to the greatest rock band We've been waiting for this for a long time. Pink Floyd, before we commit the ultimate crime of murder. 
We waited for this for a long time. A long time. We'll stay tuned. Pink Floyd, really? They gotta, they gotta throw them in there. Throw me in. How do you feel about Pink Floyd, Op? I don't know. I'm. Conf- Would you describe yourself as a pretty big fan? David Gilmore's one of the best guitarists of all times. Pink Floyd, The Wall, has to be one of the most uh, amazing. Even albums. better than Joey Jordison? I don't know. They're both, they're on par with each other in my mind and my heart. Oh, I hate this. <laughs> you would have been friends with this with with these kids if you were in high school together. <laughs> I don't think I would have. <laughs> it's got to be something I just, disagree. Oh, you know what? I disagree with the fact that they killed people. That's what I. Yeah, that's what I haven't yet. The geo. I can't get behind somebody who's got a 90, 94 geo prism. Can't do it. Nope. Okay, that's fair enough. That's I, fair I was enough. into muscle cars enough that I wouldn't have. I've been like, no. no so, sir. what they're doing right now in this recording is sitting, they're parked. Um, they had driven. They have. They had driven. Drove. Driven. Driving. Drove. Driving. They had driven a short way down the road, and then they had put the car in park, parked off the shoulder. They record this video that you just listened to, and then they pop open the trunk, get out, and start to dress in their little fantasy horror movie murder cosplay attire. They both put on black clothes, gloves. And those white masks that were painted all stupid looking like it had been done by a Slipknot fan that leans so heavy on the spectrum that he almost falls off of it altogether. <laughs> they also each get a knife out. Tori is wearing black high-top Converse basketball shoes and black jeans. Brian is also in a black shirt and black pants. But Brian chose black boots, and he had stolen those boots from his welding class. When asked why, later he said to the cops that he wore the boots because, quote, I thought it would look cooler. Wow. Unquote. Yeah. So here's the question, though, right? If you're planning on not leaving any survivors, which they're not, they're planning on, at this point in time, the plan is to kill both Matt and Cassie. Mm-hmm. Who are you trying to look cooler for? Who are you? I mean, even if you do it in a skin suit, yeah. just spandex and a pink tutu, it doesn't matter. You yep. know what I mean? Yep. That's something I don't understand. Because they don't record the murder itself. And when asked why he didn't record the murder itself, Brian Draper later said that he needed both hands. Hmm. Murdering with one hand and holding the camera with the other is, like, super inconvenient. Yeah. Yeah, I would say, I mean, as far as brazen murderers, they're, they're several ticks below Klebold and Harris. You know, that. I mean, everything they're saying shows that this is a half-baked scheme at best. I mean... You ready to roll into this? Yeah. They get back into the car, drive back towards the house, and park the car just east of the house on Whispering Cliffs Road, about an eighth eighth of a mile from the house. And then they climb out. They walk down the road the rest of the way, go down the driveway, and then begin peeking through the windows to make sure that Matt and Cassie are not downstairs. Now, this is a two-story house, right? The entrance to the house is actually on the second story. You go up a set of steps. But imagine almost like a split level. The, the the entrance is on the second floor, but you can just walk up to the first level, the oh, first story. Yeah. So, yeah, they, they, they start looking through the windows to make sure that Cassie and Matt are not on the first floor, that they're still upstairs in the living room. When they see that they're not, they enter the basement through the door that Brian had unlocked earlier. Once inside, they're now in the basement. Upstairs, our sweet couple, Cassie and Matt, they're huddled together on the couch watching a movie, just having a chill Friday night like teenagers. Just hanging out, watching a movie, being in love like we all were at 16 years old. 
uh, living living their life, not bothering anybody. Uh, once inside the basement, they're walking around down there and they're being loud intentionally. So they start stomping. They start making noises. And the intention of this was to get Matt to come downstairs and investigate it so that they can flank him and kill him. However, this isn't a horror movie where everybody is fucking retarded. So he doesn't do that. <laughs> Because that's not how people react. Like, especially a 16-year-old, he's like, I'm not going down. Like, what is... Exactly. When this doesn't work, they get frustrated. So they're making noises. They're stomping around. Matt never comes down. They start breaking stuff. They break two ashtrays to no avail because, once again, Matt isn't an idiot. Cassie and Matt are still upstairs. They do this for a while until 10.30... Matt and Cassie are still upstairs wondering what the hell's going on. At 10.30, they go to the breaker box that they had scouted out earlier in the corner of the basement, and they kill the lots for a few minutes. Obviously, Matt and Cassie are upstairs terrified. Anybody would be in this situation. After a while, they let them soak in the darkness for a little bit and then turn it back on. It is now 11 p.m. up. Tori and Brian have been messing around downstairs, making noises and killing the lots, turning them off and on for about a little over 30 minutes now. At this point, Matt calls his mom from the landline phone in the kitchen, and he tells his mom that the lights had went out and they were freaking out because they could hear noises downstairs. And he wanted, he tells his mom, hey, I want to stay with her. She's scared. She has to stay here. I want to stay. His mom says, no, absolutely not. Teenagers should not be staying alone together. However, if she wants to, she can come home with you and you will sleep in separate rooms. So the her his mom gives... I don't want to put, like, blame on this mom. She's doing, like, she doesn't want her son and this young lady to end up with a baby at 16 years old. I get it. I get it. I understand why she said this. There's no way she can know what's getting ready to happen. But to give you a little idea of the kind of, like, I would say a little badass that Cassie is, she says no, that she told her aunt and uncle that she would watch their house and their animals and she can't leave. She has to stay. Whether Matt's there or not, she's going to stay by herself. There are noises in the basement right now, and the lights are going off and on. That's the kind of girl this girl was. Dang. I'd be out. I'm not quite sure I could have left my girlfriend there either. I, I would, couldn't have either. No, yeah. but he's six. These are kids. Yeah. He's true. 16. I was thinking that while I was writing it. You know, like, I wouldn't have left her. I would have been like, no, you, you're going to come with me. Or at the very least, I guess, went downstairs to the basement. Just yeah, go check but, it out. But you can't, I mean, they're kids. Like we said, their frontal lobes are like 50% developed. You know. That's true. 11.05, just five minutes after Matt calls his mom, this is a uh, a pretty interesting part of the story. Matt does call Tori's phone. Oh, really? Right after, Weird. Yeah, so right after he gets off the phone with his mom, he calls Tori's phone to tell him that he'll meet up with him tomorrow. And Matt later would say that he was annoyed during this phone call with Tori because the entire time Tori was speaking in whispers and he could barely hear him. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. He assumed it was because they were in a theater. They had told him they were leaving to go see a movie. Oh, good points. Okay. The reason Tori is speaking in whispers is because he is downstairs in the basement right now. So after he gets off the phone with Tori, uh, him and Cassie go back. The lights are back on at this point. They lay on the living room couch there. They start watching the movie again, and the power goes out again. Okay, so they're messing with the lights. They're like, oh, we almost lost this because they almost left. So they turn the lights back on to keep them there. Yes. Probably. Okay. Yes. All right. 
I think at this point they could probably hear. I would imagine downstairs they can hear the commotion up. Like they're laying down there in in the darkness, right, waiting. They could probably hear Matt call his mom. Yeah, and they probably hear the conversation. No, Cassie's going to stay here. So they're already probably. I would imagine. Um, I would imagine Brian and Tori are already like, okay, well, we're not going to be able to get Matt tonight, but Cassie is going to be here alone. So while they're laying there on the couch, they do kill the power again. And at 11.30 p.m., Matt's mom, so 30 minutes after he called, Matt's mom and dad pull up to pick Matt up. Uh, His mom is driving. His dad's riding shotgun. As they're laying there, they're still on the couch in the living room in the dark. Uh, The lights from the sweeping of the headlights of the car let them know that that, uh, Matt's parents are there. They both get up and go to the door. And uh, the last people that will see Cassie alive are Matt. Well, the last people that aren't murderers that will see Cassie alive are Matt and his parents. They see her at the door. At the door, Matt and Cassie hug. They tell each other they love one another. Matt asks Cassie if she's sure she doesn't want to go with them. And she says yes, that she has to say she told her uncle she would watch the house and the animals. Matt goes down the steps. His dad gets out of the car, gets in the back seat. Matt gets in the passenger seat. And uh, they leave. Mm. Cassie is alone now in the house uh, as far as she's aware and now laying in wait down in the basement are Tori and Brian. It is now 11:35. Matt's just left. Cassie is now alone upstairs in the house. She's completely unaware that two big dumb dildos are hiding in the basement. At some point after Matt left, they had turned the lights back on to I guess kind of let her gather her bearings. Mhm. And then about 5 minutes after Matt left, uh, they cut the lights again. It was very important to them that Cassie was to be scared. They wanted her to be super scared. They wanted the toy with her before they killed her. Mm. After they cut the lights, they've lost all patience. They begin to creep up the stairs from the basement to the second floor where Cassie is. And at the top of the stairs, Brian Draper begins opening and slamming a closet door, trying to scare Cassie more than she already probably was. Um, and anybody would be terrified. You're in a strange house in the middle of nowhere. And now whatever was in the basement making these noises is is on the floor that you're on, just on the other side of the wall, and it's slamming doors. At this point, she doesn't know what this is. It's a ghost. It's For all she knows, it's a haunted house, right? Right. So he's slamming and slamming the closet door back and forth. She's alone. She has nothing to protect herself with. The dog comes running out of the living room, and she hears the dog barking at something and then it comes running back into the living room with its tail between its legs like it saw something scary Mm. so now it's her and the dogs and the cats in the living room and i just feel man we've done so many episodes and there's something haunting about this i can't imagine how scared she was yeah i agree i agree i mean and like i don't know what it says about these kids i mean they they had this plan all the stuff and then I don't know. I don't know what it says because, like, they're actively scaring her beyond, you know, what. Knowing they're going to kill her. Yeah. You have to be a special kind of dark if you know you're going to kill her if you want her to be terrified. Right. So this this door slamming and everything, like I said, was A, to make her scared, but it was also B, hoping that she would come in so they could attack her. And they eventually get impatient with that as well. And it's at this point that they just decide they're going to storm the living room and attack her. And uh, Tori does lead the way with Brian telling behind him. Cassie, they said when she entered the living room, they said when they entered the living room, was laying on the couch. Even more kind of a, 
a salute to her badassness. She's casually, she's just laying on the court couch, I guess, like, well, I guess the house is haunted. Yeah, yeah not like fuck. going outside or anything. And She's not going outside. She's just laying on the couch. Protecting yeah. those dogs and cats. When they come storming into the living room, uh, obviously they're wearing masks and it's dark. So probably all she saw was these two white floating masks, these Joy Joy, Joy Joey Jordanson masks coming out of the darkness. Uh, she just she jumps up from the couch, faces them in like a a defense position, and says, "quote And this is according to both Brian and Tori. "quote Who are you? I'm gonna kick your asses." Oh my gosh! Unquote. What? <laughs> yeah this this little girl was a trooper, man. This Jeez. is a soldier. This is a soldier. A lot of respect for her. Wow, that's amazing. Like I said, this is directly from court transcripts. Wow. Unfortunately, this is two young men that have 16 years of testosterone uh, running through their veins. And despite what we would like to believe, there is a difference in men and women. And uh, it would not be hard for two 16-year-old boys to overpower one 16-year-old girl. Tori goes in straight immediately without hesitating and starts ferociously attacking her with downward swaps with the knife that he's got. The first few stabs do hit her in the upper chest and throat area. They were severe life-threatening injuries. She could have died from many of them. The only thing she managed to get out after saying she was going to kick their asses was one loud scream, according to Brian Draper. She goes unconscious pretty quickly. She's now laying on the ground in the living room, and she is unconscious. And by the time Brian gets to her, she is already making the snoring slash gurgling sound, also known as a death rattle. Mm-hmm. So if anybody, I'm sure you've heard of death rattle. Um, if you're not familiar with a death rattle, it's kind of like a, uh, it does sound like a snore. It does. It sounds it's, a lot like a snore. Sounds wa- more watery than a snore, like a, I would say. Like somebody snoring underneath a very light waterfall. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the death rattle kind of gives me a an idea that she's probably already dying. Well, yeah, that's what a death rattle means. She's already even if she'd taken these injuries, these first couple, this flurry of stabs from Tori on a on an emergency room table, uh, she probably would have died, regardless. Brian joins in on the on the uh, the stabbing though. Him and Tori both uh, get over her body and begin stabbing ferociously at her stomach, chest, neck, and legs. She stabbed a total of twenty nine times. Nine of those were uh, life threatening injuries. I uh, I've seen the uh, the uh, morgue photos. And uh, yeah, yeah, it would she would she couldn't have survived that? No, these two little dipshits. They then flee out through the basement door that they came in through, run up to their car parked on the street. They speed to Tori's house where they're there for a few minutes. And uh, this next piece of audio up is taken directly after the murder, and they're on their way to Tori's house in this next piece of audio. If you okay. want to go ahead and hit the play. Yes. Just killed Cassie. We just left her house. This is not a fucking joke. I'm I stabbed her in the throat and I saw her lifeless body just disappear. Dude, I oh just killed God. Cassie. Oh, oh, fuck. That felt like it wasn't real. I mean, it went by so Shut fast. Shut the fuck up. We gotta get our act straight. It's okay. Okay. Well, let's buy movie tickets now. Okay. Come on. No. Goodbye. So uh, that little piece of audio, uh, obviously they're both, they both took part in it. 
Mm. I think it would be hard to argue. They both admit to killing her. Tori says, shut the fuck up. We got to get our story straight. You know, Brian, I just killed Cassie, blah, 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 blah. So they recorded that on their way back to Tori's house. Once they get, once they get to Tori's house, they go into the garage. They get a blue garbage bag, and they put the costumes they were wearing as well as the knives in it. They grab a bottle of rubbing alcohol from the bathroom there at Tori's house. They throw it all in the back of Tori's car. And then from there, they go to the Common Sense gas station at 1001 North Arthur Avenue. Still there, by the way. You Google mapped it. 2006. I did Google map it. There at 1001 North Arthur Avenue, they buy matches as well as $2 in gas. $2 in, remember those days? $2 in gas. Nowadays, that just gives you a sniff. Like, yeah, you can smell it. I'll let you give a sniff. $2. $2 in gas. Jeez. $2 in gas. Now you can take the, the handle off. You can take the gas thing off and you can put one finger over one nostril <laughs> and give it like a. It's $2. You lose $2 in gas just between the gas hole and the and hanging up the pump. Man. Yeah, that drop that came off as yeah. you were. Yeah. Right. After they get their $2 in gas, they drive to Black Rock Canyon, a little outside of town, uh, which is like a touristy kind of hiking trail area. There's nothing out there. They walk up a trail for a distance. They burn the bag with the costume and knives, and then uh, they bury... They put it all in the bag uh, with the videotape and everything, the masks, the knives, and they bury it up there in Black Rock Canyon. They then drive back to Tori's house and watch a movie, probably mm. Flubber, <laughs> starring Robin Williams. Kill Bill Ford. And that's a movie about an elastic living green blob that makes Robin Williams good at basketball. <laughs> and a movie that I may have... I mean, I don't know. I may have gotten molested over. Oh, my gosh. We don't know. We'll never know. I don't remember. I've we, blocked that out of my head. We don't know that. You might. <laughs> and I covered that on one episode. I remember what? I don't know. You have to go back to the back catalog to talk about that story. <laughs> uh, so now Cassie is laying dead in the house there. And this is now the next day, Saturday the 23rd. Matt, Cassie's boyfriend, spends that day trying to contact Cassie. Now, Matt doesn't have his license or a car. She never answers, though. At 7.30 p.m. that evening, Tori Adamchick, one of the boys that had killed her, shows up at Matt's house, her boyfriend. And at one point, Matt asks Tori if he'll take him up there to check on Cassie. But Tori says he doesn't have enough gas. And what he does have, he has to make last all week. It's about a 20-minute drive from Matt's house to uh, where... Cassie was house-sitting. Obviously, he doesn't want to go up there because Cassie's dead and he knows it. Tori brings Matt to his house with him. Let me say that again. Uh, what? Tori brings that next day, Tori brings Matt home with him, and Matt spends the night there at Tori's house. Jeez. That evening, so Saturday, that evening, Tori lets Matt use his cell phone multiple times to try and call Cassie. On four separate occasions. Oh, my gosh. Ugh. Next day, Sunday morning. So they killed her on Friday night. It is now Sunday morning. September 24th, 2006. Cassie's aunt and uncle, her family, they return from their little getaway. They walk in the front door with their luggage. At first, everything seems okay. By the way, it's important to note Tori and 
and Brian had cut the lights back on before they left. They walk in with their luggage. They drop their luggage there in the in the front door, and they and they yell for Cassie, but they get silenced in return. There's nothing. They come around the corner there, and in the living room, they find Cassie dead on the floor in a pool of dried blood. Uh, she's been dead two days at this point. Obviously, they call the police. The police arrive. Um, the second phone call, so they call the police. As they're calling Cassie's mom, as she's dialing the number to Cassie's mom, Cassie's car, Cassie's mom pulls in the driveway. So the cops aren't there yet. The second, so they just got off the phone with the cops. Hey, you got to come out here. Our niece is dead. She's calling Cassie's mom. And as she's putting the phone up to her ear, she looks out the window and Cassie's mom is pulling into the driveway. Mm. Cassie, like I said, she had been stabbed 29 times, uh, mostly in the abdomen and neck area. The cop, initially, the cops show up. Uh, there's no signs of sexual assault. Uh, it's obvious this crime wasn't sexually motivated. Nothing was stolen from the house. They know it's not robbery. They do note that the amount of time stabbed seems excessive. I would argue that any amount of times getting stabbed seems excessive. Yeah. But I digress. Jeez. Uh, because of this, though, they suspect Matt. Usually in a crimes of passion, it will be overkill. And this is way overkill. Um, so the police, obviously, they head to Matt's house. Uh, when informed of the death, he seems emotionless which was a red flag. They don't want to jump to conclusions, though, so they begin to ask questions about their relationship. Matt tells the investigators about power going out and everything on Friday night and then being scared and trying to get her to be- come home with him. Uh, police ask Matt if anybody else had been there. He says Brian Draper and Tori Adamchick. So they bring Tori and Brian both in for questioning, and during questioning, both claim that they went there because they had heard there was going to be a party. They didn't hear that because they were the one that started that rumor. Mm. Yes. Matt, the boyfriend of Cassie, ended up taking a polygraph test. He passed with flying colors. Obviously, he didn't have anything to do with it. And then the investigators go back to Tori and Brian. Their motive, they claim that during the murder, they were at the movies. They were watching movies. Uh, and when Brian was asked what, what the movie was about, he couldn't remember. Uh, they claimed they had went and seen Click with Adam Sandler, which was in theaters at the time. And no, that wasn't me making another flubberish joke. Uh, <laughs> that's really what they said they saw. They said they saw Click. <laughs> So they start asking him questions about the movie. They couldn't answer any of the questions. They said the movie, uh, Brian actually claimed that the movie was boring and he didn't know the plot of it because he was distracted by a girl named Heather that was sitting a few seats down from him and he couldn't say what her last name was because she went to another school. And that was my excuse for where my girlfriend was uh, when I was telling people about her in school. The whole, well, yeah, I don't know her last name. By the way, she goes to another school. <laughs> Although, you know, as 16-year-old kids, that's about how smart we were, too. Yeah. I've been dating a girl for a year. Yeah, I go to school with her. I don't know her last name. I only see her in math class. So, Brian is released from this investigation. The cops then go to the theater. The cops then go to the theater, and they watch Click. They get an understanding of the plot. And then Brian is brought in the next day and investigated again. And they're asked, just give us something. Something that proves that you've at least been in the vicinity of this movie. We're not asking you for plot details. Name a character. Name name some of the characters. He couldn't even do that. It's also during this investigation, or during this interrogation, that Brian reveals to the investigators they're investigating him for a murder that his favorite movie ever is Halloween. <laughs> Which, by the way, 
is a movie about killing babysitters in the dark and scaring them to death beforehand. So creative. Yes. Super smart, super hyper-intelligent criminals. This is top tier. These are criminal masterminds. It's also during this interrogation that Brian admits that they were wanting to make, that him and Tori had plans of making a slasher flick, and they really wanted Cassie to play the main girl, the the survivor girl in their Mm. slasher fic. But he also let her let them know that she wasn't interested. It was kind of funny, actually, if you watch the interrogation, the cop goes, this is quote, the cop goes, and how did she respond to that? Was she like, oh, that's kind of gay? Look, (laughs) unquote. (laughs) Wow. It was a different time. It's 2006. (laughs) Yeah, different times. Yeah, the cop was like, so what'd she say to that, Brian? Was she like, oh, that's kind of gay? I don't (laughs) (laughs) So the cop's like, okay, so you can't tell us anything about the movie. What about who was at the counter that night doing the tickets? Who'd you buy tickets from? Brian says it was just some guy. Detectives go to the theater again, and it turns out that the boys were actually regulars there, and the staff, all of the staff knew them on a first-name basis, and the staff claims that on the night the boys were claiming to be there, they were never there. Mm. Brian is brought back in, and it's here that he breaks and says that he didn't go see the movie that night. They were never even in the theater. Mm. How do you think he breaks up? Which one? This is not This is Brian. Brian. This is the... I'm going to say he cries. He he doesn't cry. Oh. But, and this is very telling. Okay. Remember I said when he was younger, he had a horrible stutter. He couldn't say two words without stuttering. He got bullied relentlessly for it. Yeah. The stuttering comes back. Oh, really? You know, there was the one part in the YouTube video, in the video. Leading up to the crime? Yeah. yeah when his there stress was, is through the roof? Yeah, there was one part where you could hear a stutter come through. One yeah, time. so in the entire interrogation up to this point, if you watch all the and it's hours of interrogation, hmm. there's never a stutter, not one. And it's fascinating watching this part of the audio when he realizes he's had and the stutter starts coming back. Uh-huh. And I, I looked it up, and apparently this is pretty common when somebody that's had a stutter is stressed and lying. Oh, really? The stutter comes back. Oh, yes. Okay. Like I said, Brian breaks. He starts stuttering, and he says that, no, they didn't go to the theater that night. They were never even in the theater. They were instead, yes, they were in that neighborhood where Cassie lived, but they had nothing to do with the murder. They were actually breaking into cars and stealing stuff out of cars. Oh, yeah. that Okay. He says, that's why I lied about where I was. That's why I lied about where we were. That's why I don't know anything about the movie. No, we didn't murder her, but we were breaking in cars. I want you guys to know that we were breaking into cars. <laughs> This guy. This guy. But, as you probably imagined, fast forward through the interrogation a little bit, Brian Draper is now backed into a corner, and all the lies catch up to him when he can't provide proof of anything. He can't say any of the cars he broke into, and obviously this is confirmed because all they got to do is be like, hey, did any... They said, Brian, take us to the neighborhood and show us some of the cars you broke into. And he can't do that because, obviously, they're just going to ask the owners, was anything missing? No, nothing. Nothing was right. In. He's yeah. had. Brian breaks. He finally breaks for real this time, and he confesses to everything. He confesses to the murder. He confesses to the involvement of Tori in the murder, and the breaking of Brian Draper leads to the breaking of Tori Adamchick, and the two then turn on each other. Like, this is every time. This is how it happens. They each start placing blame on the other. At, a, at one point during the interrogations, the police leave Terry alone. 
This is probably my favorite part of the interrogation video. Uh, if you watch it, and I'm sure some of the listeners are going to watch this after we... So after the police leave Tori alone in the room, he's, he's, they, he realizes he's had... I don't know if it's a nervous thing. For 40 seconds straight, he picks his nose and eats his boogers. What? In front of people? No. Oh. He's, he thinks he's alone. He doesn't know he's being recorded oh my uh, on camera. I mean, he is digging in there. I mean, it's like it's like the gold rush. It's like he's in L. It's like he's in San Francisco during the. He's digging up to his fucking frontal lobe that's undeveloped, and pulling everything out and eating it like a rabid dog. Oh my gosh! It goes for forty seconds straight. Wow! The booger eating, and now I'm not talking about like just a little bit. He like puts his finger full on in his mouth and chews them. Ugh. Wow. Note to self and to everyone else, if you're ever being interviewed, you're being recorded. Just This is the mastermind of yeah. this crime operation, by the way. Wow. Oh, booger-eating Adam <laughs> Chick. That's what they called him. <laughs> Brian Draper, after his confession, leads the police to Black Rock Canyon, where they had disposed of the evidence and buried it. Obviously, in the ground, the police dig up the black garbage bag that's filled with the gloves, the boots, the matches, the peroxide, many other types of knives, and two white masks covered in fake blood, uh, the Joey Jordison masks. Uh, and also there, obviously, was the Sony VHS tape. By the way, to let you know, I, I, I know I'm harping on how stupid these two are. If you're getting rid of evidence, right, Obviously, you want it to deteriorate fast. Right. Preferably as... Why would you put it in a garbage bag? <laughs> yeah. Jeez. It's always best when you're trying to get rid of evidence to safeguard it as best as possible <laughs> from the elements. You don't want it to get wet. <laughs> I'm having those, sir. Oh, my gosh. Oh, uh, they've got their boys. They know these two did it. Uh, important to note, this was never brought forth in trial because... Uh, you know how the, the prosecution and the defense will make deals on what can be presented as evidence and what can't. Yes. So Tori Adamchick, the, the leader, the quiet one, the socially, socially awkward one, his computer was confiscated and, gone, confiscated and gone through after the two were arrested. And on his computer, they found child pornography as well as images and videos of cruelty to animals. Oh, really? That's Which is sign. one of the McDonald triad. Yeah. Wow. Uh, this wasn't used in court because the the defense made a deal that they couldn't bring in character witnesses that would say, yeah, he's a good kid, blah, 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 if this uh, child pornography, if the computer evidence wasn't brought to court. So they kind of had a, a deal made out. Okay. And on the tape, the VHS tape that had been dug up in Black Rock Canyon, obviously, is the various clips that Brian had filmed in the last couple months. That was pretty damning evidence, obviously. Uh, everything leading up to the murder, the planning of the murder themselves, as well as the moments after the murder are all in that tape. And Brian and Tori are both very quickly convicted of first-degree murder, as well as conspiracy to commit murder, and they are given life without parole, plus 30 years for the second charge. Mm. That's pretty much it, Op. That's the end of this story. I've got a few more parts here. Tori Adamchick and Brian Draper have now been in prison for 16 years. They're still in prison to this day in Idaho. And listening, uh, recently they did a documentary about current inmates that have been in prison since they were young, 15, 16 years old. And on that was Brian Draper and Tori Adamchick. It's very fascinating seeing a grown uh, adult version of Brian Draper and Tori Adamchick. Uh, Brian, it seems, 
Uh, the, the more extroverted one has found a spot to fit in in prison. Seems he's taken prison pretty well, and he seems he has accepted his punishment and admitted his guilt altogether. Obviously, both of these two are shitheads, right? But of the two, I definitely feel more remorse uh, for Brian Draper because he has accepted responsibility for what he did and how wrong it is. Yeah. Um, in the video, he claims that he wants to live his life eternally, whether that be in prison Everything he wants to live his life paying back what he is owed to society, and he takes full responsibility for his actions. Mm. On the other hand, Tori Adamchick still claims he was 100% innocent and that he feels he has already paid what he owes society because he is a different person now. Mm. One has grown up, it seems, matured, and Tori is still that little fucking shithead. By the way, it's important to point out that in this interview, Tori's parents, Shannon and Sean Adamchick, they are sickening to listen to. Fuck both of them. God, I wish they could hear this. It's them. It's the same old, my boy didn't do anything shit. He's a good boy. This was all Brian's fault. It's the entire segments uh, that involve Tori are him and his parents blaming Brian for everything. Yeah, I, I didn't really get into it much on a recent episode, 911, where I covered my niece's massive accident where her friend died in the car accident and everything the 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 driver who killed them and, and, and injured all of them is underage is drinking totally doing drugs and everything and the mother you know she's got she's got a problem now i mean her, her son's dead she's got a lot of pain but they like memorialized him by going to the spot of the accident and pouring alcohol on the ground like his favorite alcohol the kid was 16 like that's disgusting it's disgusting she 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 petitioned the city to have a memorial like a permanent memorial placed there for her son who killed the girl that is disgusting and maimed my nieces like i don't know what happens in some people's minds when this kind of thing happens some people just go the absolute opposite direction and just lose reality I don't know if it's a it's a byproduct of like PTSD and grief and pain, but holy cow, some people, right? You just like and 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 that they'd be willing to be televised or you know filmed like 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 uh, this guy's parents, like that's there to stay, even if you change your mind later, you know. You know, there's a part in that where uh, Tori is sitting in the background, right, and the parents are in the foreground. And Tori's dad says, he's innocent. This was all Brian. He didn't want to do anything. And then Tori says something along the lines of, I shouldn't have to spend the rest of my life in prison for this. And then the dad says, because you're innocent. And there's a moment there where Tori looks at his dad mm. and kind of grins a little bit and then looks off to the side, grinning, and is like, eh, yeah, I guess. I mean – until like like I I get it that his parents could have his head in this their heads in the sand, which would be really hard to do, watching all of that video footage, you know that both of yeah, them where they admit to how yeah. can you watch that video? Right, it's so frustrating, dude. It's uh, like just to Shannon and Sean Adam chick his parents. Fuck you. Yep, you you're just as disgusting as he is, and these are the these are the kind of people that raise people like this. The, these yep. are the, it's disgusting and you know in the words of Brian Draper who's also in prison he says on Tory he says quote 
Tory has been in prison for six years at this point. This interview was recorded in 2012. Tory has been in prison for six years at this point, and he's still on his first day. Oh, man. He says, I'm not innocent. He's not innocent. I am guilty, and he is guilty. And that's where you have to start at to get past the first day. Oh, man. What a kick in the nuts, but totally true. You know? You know, like I said, I don't, I don't want to, like, throw a lot of, like, sh- you know, sympathy in Brian Draper's direction or anything, but it really does seem as if Brian Draper has grown into a man who has accepted responsibility for his actions and is genuinely sorry and wants to spend his time. At one point, he says something along the lines of, I want to live my life fixing what I've done wrong or at least trying to. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Can you think of a duo, a killer duo, where the the analysis is done afterward on their crimes and that um, uh, more emphasis is placed on one than the other. Or no, no, no. Can you can you think of a duo where everybody is like these people were just as bad as one another? I I, I struggled with that because it's it's not common. I mean, most no. Klebold Harris. Uh, you know, pick pick any duo, and there's always a stronger. And and honestly, they're rarely of the same ideology as far as the reason that they want to kill like there is one that is straight up a killer and then the other who has been nazified because you know it's the same kind of thing you break down the friend the, the, the killer breaks down his friend builds him back up you know in the way that he would want him to be emotionally and 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 everything and there's deferent there, the friend is deferential to a certain degree and everything yeah you know there, there never are two. If if they were two, if it was a a killing duo that were both as bad as each other, they don't kill together. They kill separately. Yeah, you yeah, know? absolutely. That's how you get an Ed Kemper. Yeah, that's how you get a Ted Bundy, mm-hmm. a John Wayne Gacy. Yep. You know, man. Like I said, I I don't want to throw a lot of sympathy towards Brian Draper, but I do feel like he has grown into a man that accepts how horrible what he did was. And another thing to add. um, on his cell across from his bed, he wrote on the wall, uh, and I'm paraphrasing right now, it was, uh, I love you, Cassie. I'm sorry, Cassie. Mm. Mm. So, um, I mean, it seems one of them continued to grow into an adult man that accepts what he did and is genuinely sorry for it, and one of them stayed a selfish, 16-year-old, egocentric, self-centered little shit. Yep. Yep. Now, it's important to point out that at this point in time, at 16 years old, they were both that. But I think that one has grown past that. Am I saying he should be released from prison? No, absolutely not. But I am saying that I do have sympathy for Brian Draper. I have, however, zero for Tory. This happens all the time, parole hearings, though. It's it's one of the questions that they have to factor in whether or not somebody should be released back into the, the population is, is this person, does this person have the, patil, the potential to be rehabilitated. And I think the answer... I think Brian Draper does. Yeah. I genuinely do. Yep. I mean, one of two things is is likely. Either he has the ability to be rehabilitated or he's actually smarter than Tory. Yeah. Because That's he knows... That's very possible too. And I'm not a psychologist. He might be full of shit, but I've got a pretty good gauge, I feel, of when somebody's being genuine. And if you watch these videos uh, where him and Tory are talking, um, and they're never in the same room because they obviously hate each other now. But um, Brian does feel very genuine. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
Tori is obviously only worried about himself yep. still. And I'm a psychologist and, and I, and I, I agree with what we're saying. So there you go. That's it. Op. That is the story of the scream killers. Well, good job. That was a lot of, a lot of, a lot of things we t- covered. You know what? I can, I can say this and not feel like we have to be canceled this time. We covered religion. <laughs> Talked a lot about Mormons. <laughs> and we can say that this time without being canceled. <laughs> That's fun. <laughs> or my, my lack thereof. <laughs> and your lack a lot. Uh, or your <laughs> severe lack of. <laughs> my lack of and your uh, cup runneth over. <laughs> Something. <laughs> Or goblet. I don't know why. people, Religious people drink out of goblets to they me. Do. All of our, yeah, everything in my house is a goblet. Go. Okay. Root beer goblets, water goblets. You know. But that's it. Uh, that's the Scream Killers, Tori Adamchick and Brian Draper, and the slaying of uh, that sweet, innocent Cassie Joe. Wow. That's crazy. Also, I really, and I meant this, I, I said it before we started recording, I, I, I am a... I, I'm a purveyor of true crime stories, but I'm not necessarily a connoisseur. So the ones you always pick, I, I know very little about. So I appreciate that. So this is all new for me, too, and very informative. Well, that's kind of become a staple of TCK. Uh, you're never going to hear me cover John Wayne Gacy or, you know, Jeffrey Dahmer right. as much as Jack would love that. <laughs> You've come into your own here, and I'm just glad to be along for the ride. I have no, uh, in closing, I have no particular source to cite. There's no books written about this. Uh, actually, oh, let me take that back. Oh, here's something for you. There is one book written about this. I'm not going to name the title of it. It's written by Shannon Adamchick, Tori's mom. Is it called My Son's Innocent? It's called The Innocent Guilty. Oh, my gosh. you got to be kidding me. Oh. <sighs> Wow. Yeah, fuck them. Yeah. What you said. Fuck that whole family. What you said. I agree. Oof. Uh, aside from that, there's no any books. So this was uh, this episode was cobbled together from about a million different old newspapers. Not super old. This happened in 2006. As well as uh, documentaries, um, other shows done on it, everything just put together for one big, long episode about it. So... As well as court transcripts, by the way. You did a good job, and I'll be waiting here for part three, which is weird. You said just stay on the Zoom call until we do part the next episode, which, so I got some snacks. The next episode is about where the dogs ended up. (laughs) (laughs) But what happened to, there could be a whole podcast there just called, what happened to the pets? Yeah. And we're going to go over the history of their history, where they were born, uh, where they live now, their interests. Snackers was a Bichon Frise, 13 years old. No eyesight. Same. They're all fucking dead. (laughs) (laughs) That's 2000. I don't know a single. I don't know. Maybe a cat. Maybe a cat. Maybe a cat. Maybe one of the, there's two cats. Maybe one of them is still, cats live a lot longer than dogs. Yeah. The most likely what happened is as soon as this all went down, the cats were like, I'm out. And they just left. Yeah, absolutely they did. The dogs were like. have no loyalty whatsoever. Yeah. Dogs, dogs have so much loyalty that they barely knew Cassie. And they were like, what's going on? I got to stick around. I got to stay here. Just Somebody's got to see this. Oh no. Slipknot is here. 
two drummers. I thought the band only had one. <laughs> Slipknot is here and they're attacking this this beautiful brown-headed girl that's suddenly started giving me treats. <laughs> I love her, so I'm sticking around. Yeah, you're probably right, though. Year-wise, all of these have gone to dog heaven and cat hell. You just made a lot of middle-aged women mad. <laughs> I'm just kidding. They all went to heaven. <laughs> uh, if you believe in that sort of thing, and if you do, I have a book to share with you. <laughs> I'll see you next time, Kent. <laughs> all right. I love you. Uh, what? <laughs>